This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Merry Christmas, Bridgeway. It is so good to see you here today. I can officially say now all the cuteness has left the stage. And by that I meant Pastor Justin. Yes, it is good to be here with you and to celebrate. I got to tell you of all of uh, the Christmas traditions we have around this church, this one really is my favorite. And I love seeing our kids be a part of the service. They really teed me up very well because we've been spending these weeks leading up to Christmas to think about uh, the party that Christmas should be, that it should be the greatest party that we ever experienced because it's the birth of our Savior, Jesus. And I loved what the kids did. I loved how they, they really already told you the story this morning. But what I want to do is I, I want to encourage you to do what you just experienced. In fact, um, I had an unusual vantage point. Uh, during that presentation, I actually turned around and I looked at all of you out in the crowd and it was fun to watch you because you were so locked in to these kids on the stage. In fact, you could, you could hear a pin drop in the room, right? Like everybody was so focused and these kids are giving it their all. And some of you parents, you've got those moves down too. I was watching you. And, and I want to encourage you to do more of that, to take it all in. I think there's something just good about God allowing us to just enjoy a moment. And so what I want to do today is, is I want to give you the gift of being fully present. I want to talk about how I know this season and I know how it goes. It can have you moving so fast and going from one activity in the name of Christmas to the next and doing it at such a rapid pace that you forget to take it all in. And so if you'll allow me to this morning, I want to just kind of look at one place in Scripture about how important this is and how we can do our best to step into these moments. In fact, um, to get you thinking about this, I, I want to give you sort of a, a little bit of a liturgy. In fact, you all watch the kids perform, and now I want to ask for a little bit of audience participation from you. And it comes from this verse. I want to read this verse with you. It's Psalm 118, verse 24, where the writer says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And what I want to do is so that you can remember this is I want to have you repeat this after me. So here's your chance. All right. Ready? Repeat after me. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Okay, boys and girls. Now I want to have you do that again. And this time, you can use your outside voices, all right? You ready for this? This is the day, is the, day. the Lord has made. made. Let us rejoice, Let us rejoice. And, be glad in it. and be glad in it. And my hope today is that you make this day the day that you're fully present with God. And these aren't just words that you say, but these are words that you live and you carry with you throughout this season. I want to look at one story today. I want to look at one person, and the kids already kind of, kind of keyed you in on this, but I want to look at the life of Mary. So if you've got your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, Luke is one of the Gospels. It's the third Gospel. You'll find Matthew, then Mark, then Luke. If you've hit John, you've gone too far. The words will all be on the screen for you as well, but we call this one of the Gospels. Luke is, the, is one of the stories of the life and the teaching of Jesus. Uh, the Gospels are the good news about God's grace. And so it's a great place to turn and to look at. 
And you've already seen and experienced some of Mary's life, but she's got a few more lines than what the kids gave her this morning. In fact, if you think about Mary, in all the characters in the story, she she would have had uh, the most incredible insights into what God was doing in this moment. In fact, she hears this news from the angel. It's it's greetings, Mary, and and she's immediately a bit scared and a bit confused. And I, I imagine so, right, to be given the news that you will now be the mother of God's son. How can this be, she asks, right? I'm, I mean, this is a young girl. I mean, at most, she's 16 years old. Scholars would probably say she's maybe closer to 15 or even 14. That's when you typically were engaged, betrothed. And she hears these words that it's going to be this immaculate conception, right? I mean, she's going to be a virgin and yet give birth to God's son. And it's so confusing, and she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and and Elizabeth is pregnant as well. She's going to give birth to John the Baptist. And yet, she's older and, and wiser. And there's something about that time with her that Mary kind of, kind of comes to this understanding of the task at hand. And, and I believe she really gives us this picture of what it means to be fully present with her God and her Savior. And her response is one of song or one of a prayer. And I want to read her prayer, her song with you this morning. So it's in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, you read through this prayer, this song, And all this week, as I was reading and rereading this text, I found that I could not do it quickly. (laughs) That in reading it, it actually slows you down. The cadence of her song, the cadence of this prayer is one that just slows you down. In fact, not only does it slow you down, but if you allow the words to, to kind of impact you, they're very rich. In fact, they're incredibly deep. Every line of her prayer is this depth of of really deep insights. She's actually thinking through theologically of all the things, all the promises that her people have been given. But we want to focus just on the ways in which this prayer kind of bring this this fully present moment for Mary. And, And I see so many things that we can learn from Mary in this prayer. In fact, that first line, I want to go back to verse 46. It says, My soul glorifies the Lord. I think sometimes we can skip past that word soul because it just sort of sounds like spiritual jargon. And yet Mary has this incredible insight as a young girl to know that there's something deep within her that's changed and different. And it starts with her soul. In fact, I think as a pastor, I need to be the one that reminds you, you have a soul. In fact, I don't know if you realize this, but you're a very complex human being. I mean, you have a mind, so that gives you the ability to think and and create rational thought and, and have discussion. And then you have a will. Your will is sort of your volition, your, uh, your way in which you will act on certain things. 
And then you have the part that you think of when you think of a person. You have, you have a body. <laughs> you have your physicality. And your soul is that part of you that's sort of integrating all those different aspects of your mind and your will and your body. You could kind of think of it, uh, if you use technological terms, you kind of think of your soul as sort of like the operating system. It's keeping everything kind of in line. And this soul of Mary's has been changed. In fact, you could kind of ask the question, how do you know if someone's a Christian, right? Like you might wonder that. How do you know if someone's actually a Christ follower? Does it require that they say a certain prayer or that, that you've attended church so many times or for so many years? And actually, I would say that Mary shows us that, that really what a follower of God is is someone who's been changed at this deep part of her. Her soul has been transformed and transformed in such a way that she cannot help but praise God. And that's the next word. She glorifies the Lord. That word glorifies in the Greek language is the word megalano. It's where we get the word magnificent from. In fact, if you grew up in a tradition uh, either from a Catholic background or a Lutheran background like I did, uh, you would often call this um, Mary's Magnificat. That's kind of the Latin for this. It's Mary magnifying the Lord. And this young girl, she has the presence and wherewithal to glorify God. Think about it. You've only got two choices. You can either glorify yourselves. We're really good at that. We're kind of glory mongers. Or you can turn that glory and you can give that back to God. She goes on from there in the next line. And she says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. I love this word mindful. It's kind of a, kind of a buzzword today, right? I mean, you, you see it all the time and mental health and psychological studies and this whole idea about you need to be mindful. And yet what she's doing is she's, she's saying that God is mindful. She kind of flips the whole idea of mindfulness in our culture, which is so self-absorbed, and she says, no, 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 the one who is mindful is God. God is mindful of me and, and how humble I am as his servant. She goes on to then kind of list the, one of the attributes of God. She says, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Now, the mighty one, this attribute, this would be one of the omnis. This is the omnipotence, the all-powerfulness of God. And yet she's referring to this child that's going to be born. And you think about it, the omnipotent, the all-powerful one is choosing to become incredibly weak. I mean, frail, like a baby, and to come into the world. This would be an example of, you know, the CEO of the large organization, right, that decides to, to come down and to be the janitor in that organization, the mighty one, and he has done great things for me. I, I wondered all week how she can say this about God. I mean, great things, Mary, right? I mean, think about it. You're a teenage girl. You're pregnant. Joseph's not the husband, right? Like, he's actually right now thinking about maybe divorcing you. And yet she says, great things. God has done great things for me. Think about the maturity of this young girl. In fact, I think she's telling us something about this fully present state that she's in. In fact, if you hear nothing else from me this morning, I think that I would want you to know that you cannot change the past. And you cannot control the future. And so the best thing to do is to be fully present and to live in the moment. Mary does that. In fact, I love this last line in her prayer. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. I love that. God remembers to be merciful. And again, this is so unlike us, right? Because we don't, 
We don't remember to be merciful. In fact, we usually act out of revenge and getting even and keeping the score. And Mary says, no, 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 not, not my Lord. He, he remembers. His mercies are new every single morning. And she's sort of zoomed out now at the end of her prayer, at the end of this song. And she's now saying, no, this isn't even about me in my circumstances. He's being mindful of this entire group of people, the Israelites. God is looking at this entire group of people, and he's being mindful. And I get to play this humble part in the journey. I think she offers just a great example for us to learn from and how she's fully present with God. So how do we do this? How do we become more present? And how can this be a gift not only to ourselves, but to the people around us? And I've just been thinking about some practical ways that we can take kind of Mary's story, her Magnificat, and begin to sing our songs in the ways in which we can in our life today. The first thing I would say if you're taking notes is if you want to be more fully present, you're going to have to go slower and do less. Now, i got to say, this is probably the most countercultural thing you could ever do. If you actually did this tomorrow, like at work, right? I mean, I'm not suggesting this, right? Like, I don't think you should go to your boss and say, hey, boss, I've got my strategic plan for 2023. And about those reports, well, I'm going to do them a lot slower. In fact, I won't even get nearly as many done this next year, right? Like, it probably won't go well for your success in your job. But we're not talking about success in the workplace. We're talking about how to be fully present for our spiritual lives, for the care of our souls. Um, great writer and thinker, probably someone that's influenced me uh, the most, is a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. And uh, I encourage you to read all of Dallas's works. He's an incredible writer. But on this topic, he says this. He says, never forget, you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God, God's great universe. Let me say that again. You are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. And I would just add to that, so why the rush? I mean, if we are unceasing as spiritual beings, and if the goal, I won't ask for a show of hands on this, but if your goal is someday I'd really like to be in heaven, then why the rush? Why try to hurry through the minutes and the moments that we have here in this life? See, I think we look at life and we think capacity. And we compare capacities and we see who's getting it done and we see who's not getting it done and we think, well, I got to hurry up. I got to get it going. I need to keep moving along. And, and then we try like different hacks and different ways to kind of get more out of our day and get more done. In fact, we live in a day and age where technology has sort of just sped things up. We've moved from an agricultural era to an uh, industrial era to, a informa- or to a technology era to now the future. Really, what's before us is a artificial intelligence. That's where we're headed as a human race. And this technology of constantly moving and constantly striving has always left us unfulfilled. In fact, uh, kind of an older study that was done by the U.S. government, done by the Department of Labor back in the 1960s, they actually predicted that because of technology, things would become so efficient that your life would become boring. They actually predicted that within 25 years, by 
1985, that the average American would have too much time on their hands. They would get all their work done so that they would only have to work an average of 22 hours a week for 27 weeks out of the year. Let me just ask for a show of hands. How many of you get 25 weeks of vacation, right? <laughs> Don't ask your boss for that either tomorrow, right? And surely that's not true. In fact, technology has just led us to do more. The average person works now around the clock or at least six days a week. On average, 47 hours per week. I'm here to tell you this morning that hurry is a sickness. And if you do too much and you go too fast for too long, you will burn out. So this morning, remember, you're an unceasing spiritual being. It also has something else about technology that we have to be aware of. If we want to be more fully present, then we're going to have to set boundaries with our phones. Now, some of you are not going to like this point, but don't shoot the messenger. I, I just simply want to ask the question this morning, do our devices, do our phones, do they, do they allow us to draw closer and be more fully present, or at times, do they become, well, a barrier or a distraction? All the parents in the room, right? Do the phones, either in your household or in your kids' hands, do they ever cause a distraction, right? Sometimes they just kind of get in the way. And I don't know, I've been kind of learning, especially as I'm getting older and I'm now 51, I'm kind of on the downhill ski slope of life, and, and I'm just realizing that I, I want to have these moments where, where I take it in. In fact, um, I saw a picture a number of years ago that just really uh, kind of impacted me. In fact, um, take a look at this picture and tell me, in this picture, who do you think is actually taking it all in? Yeah. Kind of convicting when you see that, right? And we get so busy about capturing the moment that I think we forget to just take it in. And to kind of trust that, hey, what I'm seeing, what I'm experiencing, you know what, I, gotta, I have a beautiful mind. And my mind will actually hold that and not lose it. I mean, certainly, take pictures, take video of your kids on the stage. I'm not saying don't do that. But there should be moments and spaces and times where we just allow the world to kind of enter into every part of our being. In fact, I think a lot of ways in which technology becomes a barrier is in, in kind of the area of conversation. I don't know if you realize this, but there's, there's kind of these new social norms that have developed because of, well, because of our phones. And um, have, you heard of the, have you heard of the rule of three? It's sort of this unwritten rule that if we're in a room together, as long as three people in that room, let's say there's ten people in a room, as long as three people in that room are talking to one another, everyone else in that room, it's socially acceptable to go on their phones and to interact and see what's going on in the real world, right? And the way you become adept at this social norm is you actually, you understand the cue that when the conversation comes to you, that it's your turn to put the phone down and to actually engage with two or three other people. You know, you know why? So those people that were talking, they now have the right to go on their phone and interact with what's going on in the real world. And I say all this and exaggerate all this because what's lost is the ability to be fully present and to have real conversations. We're losing the conversations in many ways because of our technology. And so studies have shown if you just simply take your phone and you say, you know what, for one hour, I'm going to turn it off. Not even place it in the other room. In the other room still has the effect of us of still being in our presence. And so you can just make a decision. You know what? I'm going to turn it off for one hour 
Every day, studies have shown that it allows your, your brain to kind of reset. It allows you to do kind of the deeper work of flow. All those things can happen. Last thought, if we want to be more fully present in this Christmas season, then I want to remind you that your posture matters. <laughs> in fact, telling people that you're available for them and you want to hear how they're doing requires that you use body language. And our body language can say exactly the opposite of what we mean. We might feel as though our heart is really open to, to spend time and to do life together, but if our body doesn't cooperate, then we really send the wrong signal. And so you probably know these things, but it helps to remember that, you know, if you have a body language that, I don't know, crosses their arms and lifts their chest up a little bit, tilts their chin up, even a shorter guy like me, you can kind of tell the world that, you know what, I'm better than you. And I don't really, I don't really have time for you. Or another body language issue, I had this happen to me just recently with someone, I was having a conversation with them, and I noticed they, they kind of turned their body sideways to me. And they were looking over their shoulder at me as we were still, I thought, conversing. And it kind of sent this, you know, this signal to me, like, they're leaving me. Like, they're going to leave me hanging in this conversation. How would you like it if I gave my whole sermon facing this way, right? Like, it'd just be really awkward. So, um, we do this with our eyes, too. A lot of times, we'll, we'll be in the middle of a conversation, and then there's a bird, right? Like, we'll think there's something more interesting happening around us, and our eyes will dart from looking at one individual to looking at something else going on in the room. And I've got to tell you, friends, I think as the church, we, we can do better. In fact, we can, we can be the kind of place where people come and, and they feel that we're fully present with God and we're fully present and available for them. So we can practice that. In fact, we always have time before the service, if you're in the square having a cup of coffee or after the service while you're picking up your kids or hanging out, we can, we can practice these things. We can keep our arms down at our side. We can square our shoulders up to the people we're talking to and we can lock eyes with them and, and just without even using words, tell them how much they mean and how much God loves them. It's our opportunity to be fully present. I want to invite the worship team to come up this morning and just to give us some time to think about and, and some time to be fully present with God. You know, this week I was thinking about Mary's posture in this story. We weren't really told what she's doing. I don't know if I kind of imagine maybe she's standing before God. Maybe her, her arms are outreached. Maybe her palms are up. I don't know. Maybe she's kneeling on the ground and she's singing this song of praise and fully present to what God is going to do, not just now, but into the entire future of humanity. If you would bow your heads and pray with me, please. God, I'm just reminded again that this is the day. You've given us one day. And in this day, God, I pray that we would be fully present, that we would fill our, our minutes and our moments with the ways in which we can connect with you and the people around us that you love and cherish so much. God, I pray that we would be just a, a sign against the culture of slowing down and being available and of really telling people that they matter. They matter to God this season and in every single day. God, I pray that our hearts would be full and would be full of worship for you and what you're doing in us and around us and through us. And so God, I just thank you. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the faith like these children to remind us of the whole true meaning of Christmas. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide. 